When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Matt James with Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Jay Scott on the Hook Rock. Happy Monday to all you guys out there, all you guys and gals out there. Hope you all had a great weekend. We are in the uh, the last lap of summer. We got school starting this week for a lot of people and last week too as well. I know my son, the Youth Rock, starts this Friday. And Labor Day is approaching. And that's kind of like the end of summer, even though summer ends, I think, on September 20th. It uh, once the once the kids get back in school, it's kind of waiting for the leaves to change and the winds to change and get that little brisk morning. I don't know if we've had that yet. We've had a heat spell as a big part of the country has had, but yeah, it's you know we're we're almost done with 2021. We're like in the 
we're on the back nine at this point. And we're also seeing a lot of concerts canceled, too. I know I mentioned Mammoth canceled two shows, Blackberry Smoke, Stevie Nicks. And the list is growing. And uh, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. Don't know. Uh, I know what we should do. But I don't know if, you know, the whole country has an appetite for that. But, you know, the way things are headed, and I'm usually a positive person, but I'm also realistic. I don't know if this is going to be a fun fall and winter for a lot of people. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. So keeping our fingers crossed. Excited to see LA Guns release their new single this morning from their upcoming album checkered past out in november the song is called knock you down and man it i can't wait for this album it, it, this album feels like it's going to have a lot of angst and anger eh, it shouldn't make me anger but just a lot of tension because a lot of the bullshit they've been putting up with with their former drummer who now has his own band which is like the equivalent to bobby blotzer you know, going on on tour with Rat. I got news for the former drummer. No one's going to go see that. Or and if anyone does go see that, they they didn't see the print above the name. It says the drummer's name and L.A. Guns. It's kind of like Jack Russell's Great White. I, I don't know. Well, here here's the thing. I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of glad that they did release a single because before we get into our conversation with Sidney Taylor, this is been going on for a couple years with the former drummer of LA Guns. And the reason why this is happening, it's not because, you know, the former drummer, you know, is doing an honorable thing and honoring the name of the band or, you know, feels like, you know, he should be out there playing under the moniker LA Guns. Has nothing to do with that. Here's the the cold-hearted truth. Because of LA Guns' resurgence, over the last several years, the last two albums. And they've had a, a, a great resurgence. I mean, I saw them April of 2019, I want to say. I think it was 19. So hard with the pandemic. It's kind of screws with everybody's timeline. The place was packed. It was the same place that I just saw Mammoth a couple weeks ago. And they, they had it filled, man. And people enjoyed it. People loved it. They had a good time. That's why the former drummer is doing this. Instead of going and starting a band with a different name, with maybe the same musicians, I don't know, but starting with a different name, a new name, he's not going to get the payout that now he has because it's called the former drummer's name's L.A. Guns. It's a money grab. It's laziness. It's what a piece of crap does, in my opinion. Okay? I mean, that's the cold-hearted truth. If L.A. Guns never emerges with Phil Lewis and Tracy Guns again and doesn't release the last two albums they, they did, there's this conversation never happens. But because they did what they did and because the quality of music they did is probably their best since the first few albums, well... If no one's hiring you to be a drummer because people in the industry may or may not like working with you, well, then 
what do I do? Let me go use another band's name and I'll tour under that. Meanwhile, until the court's settled, I'll use the same name so I can get on festivals so people who don't go on the internet don't know that the L.A. Guns that's playing at a certain festival does not feature the founding member, Tracy Guns, and the original lead singer, Phil Lewis. The one they're going to go see is the drummer, who's not an original member, and a bunch of other musicians that may or may not have played on previous albums. So, nonetheless, let's keep it moving. Glad to see LA Guns release their new song off the new album coming out November 12th. Once again, everybody, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Follow us wherever you do podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Write us a review uh, if you're so inclined and want to give us some feedback. Also, check out some of my other friends on Pantheon. Martin Popoff, the Rock Historian. Mistress Carrie out in Boston. Carmen Apiece, Vinny Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast with Ron and Esty. Cobras and Fire, go check out Backin. Tom and Zeus, shout out Loudcast. And also some that uh, are not part of the Pantheon that I've had on from time to time, like Sydney from Metal from the Inside. The Chicks Who Love Music is a great podcast. Rock Savages, great podcast. I know I'm probably forgetting a few others, but I will get to you um, later on in certain episodes that uh, if I haven't mentioned it yet, because there's a lot of people doing great work out there and they should be applauded. And thank you to them. Thank you for creating such a great community that uh, we're all part of. Check out Christine Eagle on Smoke Signals. Check out Kaz on The Heavy Rock Show every Friday night from the UK. Anastella, Anastella Rocks. She's putting together something. Something's cooking with Ann. So be on the lookout for that. My friend Terry over in the UK just released a new playlist today on Spotify that is just an epic, another epic podcast or an epic uh, playlist that she's released. So go check that out. And I don't know. Got some good things cooking for you, some good things coming up for you. Just can't wait to show it to you. Once again, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Let's have a good time, baby. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form and a fraction of the cost. Cha-ching! Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of ED, erectile dysfunction. It's probably the most important thing in any relationship. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, 
you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problems here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil, Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, America, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for the Hook Rocks podcast listener. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Milk Shake at checkout. Just paying $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Milk Shake to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the Hook Rocks podcast. Let's get to it, people. Like to welcome in my next guest. She, uh, I think this is her third appearance on the Hook Rocks podcast. She has a podcast herself, a great one at that, and that's Metal from the Inside. You can check her out on Brave Words as well, and featured articles with reviews and her thoughts on what's been happening in rock music. I'd like to welcome in Sydney Taylor. What's going on, Sydney? How are you? Hey, Jay. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for doing this. It's glad to have you back. I think the last time you were on the show was in the winter when we did the Dockin' Legacy, which is still one of the top episodes of the year. It still gets great feedback. It's just a band that a lot resonates with a lot of people, and I think people really appreciated the attention we gave it. And uh, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me again. I, like you said, I think this is my third time on, so I'm I'm happy that you like me enough to have me <laughs> on for the fourth time. <laughs> absolutely, um, always, always. What's been going on? What's new in your world? Always a lot's happening over here. Um, you know, mostly with the podcast. You know, I know Jay mentioned I do have my own podcast called Metal from the Inside. So you know, I kind of do similarly to what Jay does over here. Um, you know, I do rock interviews, metal interviews with a lot of different people from a lot of different genres. You know, a lot of different eras of music. Um, so that's what I do over there. You know, I also write for Brave Words, which is a you know hard rock and heavy metal site. I write reviews. Um, interviews, a lot of stuff for them. Um, and something really cool that I was actually just telling Jay before we you know, started rolling, um, I was recently just interviewed for some documentaries on reels, which I'm sure you know, some of you are familiar with. They do a lot of you know, rock documentaries and stuff. So I'm not 100% sure if I can say yet which episodes I'm in, but they're doing this really cool series on Frontmen that is coming Sometime next year, I believe. So I'm in a couple episodes of that. So always a lot going on and uh, happy to be busy, though. That's awesome. That's a lot of good things happening, a lot of great stuff happening. I'm happy for you because you put in a lot of work. You put in a lot of time um, with what you do. And I'm glad that things are rolling for you and things are keep they keep moving forward, which is awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm really uh, thankful. You know, I. Every interview that I do, I was just kind of thinking about this the other night. Um, 
you know, I was editing this week's episode and I just was kind of looking back on a lot of the stuff I've gotten to do this year and, you know, the people that I've, I've gotten to interview and have on. And I'm sure that you feel the same way. You know, some days I'm just like so grateful that I get to like sit and talk with my heroes and, and people like to listen to it. So <laughs> it's a, it's a really cool, cool thing. Yeah, you know, and it's great that everybody gets a chance to interview people. A lot of us interview a lot of the same people, and it's nice to see a different approach for each interview, different questions, and, you know, people really, you know, carving out their own identity with how they develop a conversation which with, you know, each artist, which I think is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we're talking about it, too. You know, we both had D. Snyder on, which, again, like you were saying, it's really cool to see different information that we can, you know, kind of, I don't want to say pull out of people, but, you know, kind of bring out of people. And, uh, you know, it's, you did a great interview, by the way, which I know I know I told you, but I wanted to, to say that as well. Um, that was a really great conversation that you had with D. And, uh, yeah, it's it's cool to see the the different the different approaches that everybody has with, you know, some different artists. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, it's great, you know, when people are, like I said, carving out their own identity. The podcast community is so big, but it's also very small at times too as well. And there's great relationships that you can develop, you know, through podcasting and through the music community. And uh, I enjoy listening to a lot of them like yours and and others as well. And uh, no, it's just, it's great that music, especially hard rock, really does utilize the podcast platform to get the word out because it's not going to get played out on on radio you know there's no more rock radio so podcasts a lot of times are what give bands new bands like i have on a lot or legacy artists that have new music being released it gives them a platform to talk about their new music and let people know what they're doing and let people know that they're they're still making great music and i think that's really important Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, like you were saying, and you know, you, they get a lot of these, you know, legacy artists that we do have sometimes on podcasts, you know, for like terrestrial radio and things, you know, um, on the hard rock stations, but you know, a lot of new bands, it's, you know, still, still radio. So sometimes it's hard to, to get on and, you know, be able to, to be interviewed or kind of get the, the band out there. So definitely podcasts are super helpful. Um, cause you know, it's not, it's not, that hard to to get on one and to be able to kind of get get what you're doing out there so you know it's, it's definitely a really good outlet that uh you know i know some people say it's kind of an oversaturated market right now but i don't know i never get sick of listening to podcasts so to me it's like the more the merrier <laughs> yeah you know it can be at times you know there's an abundance of them out there but you know you pick your half dozen favorites or handful of favorites and you stick with that and then if people recommend something else you go with that too. There's a lot of good stuff out there, you know, and you know, we can't listen to all of them obviously, but nevertheless, I do like the fact that it's giving rock music an outlet because there's so much rock music out there and there's so many podcasts out there. I think it's a perfect marriage for what has to happen right now. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, we are going to get into our topic today. I recently ran a poll on my Twitter feed not really a poll, but a question out there, an interactive question on who the big four in hard rock and heavy metal are. We know the big four for thrash is Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. And we never really talk about who the big four is for hard rock and heavy metal. And Sydney and I are going to get into it today in terms of what bands 
should be on people's lists. Obviously, we're not going to tell you how to make your list, but you know, there's certain qualifications I think that really make up who is the big four, you know, and that's influence, that's longevity, that's body of work, you know, and you know, if is their music still relevant today? You know, and, and there's a lot of and, and there's a lot of bands, several bands that meet that criteria. We're gonna go through kind of the big boys and, and, and see which ones we can come up with to make our individual big four of rock of hard rock and metal. And then once this episode airs, please comment and let us know what you think and who your big four is as well. So with that being said, why don't you start off with one of the bands that uh, you're thinking of including in the list? Yeah, so this was uh, an interesting topic because, you know, what I ended up kind of narrowing it down to for kind of the the big four, which I know we're going to talk about a little later on the episode, um, kind of can tie into to both kind of subgenres, you know, hard rock and heavy metal. But when I was thinking about this, you know, I, I think that sometimes I kind of look at hard rock and heavy metal a little bit separately, although I know that, you know, some of these artists can also kind of go between each kind of subgenre. That's just kind of how I think about it in my head. But um, one band that I was thinking of um, was definitely, I, I got to go with Van Halen. Um, I think that they they definitely have the body of work and the influence. I mean, I know a lot of us are still mourning the loss of, of Eddie and, and, you know, how devastating that was to the music world. Um, but, you know, the body of work that they had and the influence that, that debut record had on hard rock and eventually heavy metal. I mean, again, that's kind of one of those things where I know some people view Van Halen as, as being more hard rock, but you know, for the time and, and for 1978, when, when they kind of hit the scene, you know, that was a really big album and, and was metal, you know, in a way, maybe not the metal that a lot of us, you know, came, came to know with, you know, Iron Maiden and, and, you know, the heavier Judas Priest stuff and everything. Um, but it was the beginnings of that, you know, and, and they influenced so many of those, you know, glam metal bands that are some of my favorite bands. You know, we're kind of talking about Dokken, um and, you know, the, the influence of Eddie's playing, you know, that him and George were, were really good, you know, kind of friends still playing that scene. But, you know, Eddie was kind of the one who really started that style of playing. And I know that George has said on many times, you know, that he was definitely, you know, inspired and, and influenced by what Eddie was doing. So, I mean, we kind of just look at the influence um, and it's, it's there, you know, the legacy is there, you know, even if you aren't a hard rock or heavy metal fan, um, you know, you know, Van Halen, you know, even songs like jump or running with the devil, you know? So I, I think that they're definitely a contender for sure. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, first, before I begin on Van Halen, you are correct on the heavy metal, hard rock, thin line that exists between both genres. When I was growing up, Van Halen was considered heavy metal. Def Leppard's first two albums, first three albums were, were considered heavy metal. And as time goes on and you know things become more defined, heavy metal has definitely become more defined as we sit presently. And hard rock is more, more of a big tent, so to speak, where a lot of bands can make that claim that they're hard rock. But back in the early 80s and late 70s and you know, in the eighties when I was growing up as a kid, it was, you know, I mean, Def Leppard, you know, when, when someone says to me, Def Leppard's not heavy metal. And I tell them, yes, they were at some point, they were considered part of the new wave of British heavy metal. 
they almost they get upset with me. <laughs> it's like I'm just telling you what was it, what it was back in the day. But anyway, as far as Van Halen, one of the things that um, I feel about Van Halen is influence is tremendous, right? Especially with Eddie's playing, and not just that, but also you know the way they presented themselves on stage as larger than life. That's been lost a lot, I think, on you know, rock and roll since then, you know, you don't have a David Lee Roth. You don't have this big giant persona that existed before. I don't know if that's ever going to come back or not. I mean, those are pretty big shoes to fill. But one of the things that you have to consider about Van Halen is when we're talking about new bands, we always compare them. Oh, they sound like Zeppelin. Oh, they sound like Black Sabbath. Oh, they sound like ACDC or Aerosmith. No one ever sounds like Van Halen. And right. I think it's difficult to replicate that because it's such a unique sound. It takes like something like ZZ Top, which is a huge influence of Led Zeppelin, and you merge it with like the Dave Clark Five and the Beach Boys, right? And it's just this unique sound. I mean, you listen to the background vocals and the, the you know during the chorus in on, on a Van Halen song, and you hear the Beach Boys on this you know scathing you know shredding guitar. At the same time, it's it's so, you know, when you listen to Van Halen 1 and you listen to I'm the One and you listen to, you know, Feel Your Love Tonight and you listen to those background vocals and then you go listen to Pet Sounds, you know, with the Beach Boys, I mean, you hear that influence, you know, they're both from Pasadena, you know, they're both, they're, you know, obviously decades before, but it's such a, a, a an interesting influence for a hard rock band to have, but again, you know, we talk about all these bands that sound like this. There isn't a band that you could say, oh, that sounds like Van Halen, because I don't know if another band can replicate that type of style and that type of formula that they had. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you, we look at Black Sabbath or like a Led Zeppelin, and I think that it's easy to have a band be influenced by that sound, um, and, and, you know, kind of what they created and I'm, I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but you know, with Van Halen, I feel like if, if, if you're an abandoner or, or trying to, to sound like Van Halen, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty damn obvious. I mean, right. You know, it's like the, that guitar sound is so, it's just, it's so recognizable that, you know, you, you couldn't be a band trying to sound like Van Halen without trying to really sound like Van Halen. Um, and, you know, kind of get that, that constant comparison that I know that we sometimes see with, with other bands, but just, just the influence that, that he had kind of like you were saying is just immense. I mean, we look at all those bands after Van Halen broke the scene. I mean, how many, how many guitar players have you talked to? I know I've talked to a lot that, you know, Van Halen was, was their reason for wanting to, to be in a band or was, you know, the, the reasoning or the example, I should say, that kind of changed everything for them. Um, so the influence is 100% there. And I think that, you know, with this, the body of work that they had, you know, even up to the, the last record that they did, you know, uh, it's just, there, there's no denying that they're up there. And even changing, you know, vocalists, which a few of my oh, choices yeah. have, you know, have done too as well. I mean, to to reinvent themselves and be just as successful as they were with David Lee Roth that they you know, were with Sammy Hagar is a feat that, you know, very few bands have been able to do. And some bands have not. Some bands have crashed and burned after they've done that, you know, like Motley Crue. I mean, Motley Crue has never been the same 
after Vince Neil left the first time and was replaced by John Karabi. That's not to say that the John Karabi album wasn't good. It's a phenomenal album. But it was just, it, for whatever reason, the, band, the, the, the music scene had changed so much and you know they changed singers at the same time and they just were never able to connect with fans again with Karabi. I think the album is phenomenal, but it's just a fact that they just could not sell albums with him. Um, you know, but getting back to the Sammy thing, I know there's a, always the the eternal debate. You know, the battle of Evermore is you know Sammy and Dave and this and that, and and I fall into the camp that I like both bands or both styles equally. I mean, I love the swagger with Dave Lee Roth. I love the precision and the musicianship and the and the you know the technical aspect of everything they did with with Sammy Hagar. I think Sammy's voice is way better than David's. I think David's stage presence is way better than Sammy's. Not to say Sammy's is bad, but I just think that at the you know when it comes to it at the end, it's still Eddie Van Halen playing guitar. And that's enough for me to be a fan of both styles with the music. Yeah, I, I was definitely for a long time somebody who was a very strong, strongly opinionated on the fact that I thought that it was only Van Halen with David Lee Roth. Um, and I mean, I, I tend to prefer the David Lee Roth stuff, but as you know, I, my music taste has you know matured a little bit, and I, I've kind of delved back into the Sammy stuff. You know, probably last year or maybe a little bit before because this is kind of a a recent thing where I've kind of come around a little bit um I can totally kind of see what you're saying and I know what you're saying about the fact that they're they're two separate bands in a way to me like that's what it feels like um my apologies if if there's a dog barking in the background my my dog is just yelling her head away um but it's kind of two different bands and it's a completely different sound in a way, you know, it's a completely different kind of vibe of, of each, what each vocalist brought to the band. Um, and you're completely right. I mean, it's really hard for, for a band to bring in another singer or any kind of major lineup change like that, you know, especially, you know, we look at how David Lee Roth was, you know, how instrumental he was to that band um, and, and the showmanship and, you know, the personality that he brought, we all know, you know, just, how big of a, you know, persona that David Lee Roth had on stage. Um, and especially when you're kind of switching out somebody that that's that classic or, you know, is such an instrumental part to, to what the Van Halen image was at that time, you know, and, and bring in somebody else, it's a big risk, you know, not every band can do that. It's, you know, like you said, people have kind of just crashed, crashed and burned once they've done that. So, you know, they, they succeeded. And, you know, I think that, both eras of that band are extremely memorable and uh yeah they're they're just kind of two separate bands in, in my mind that's kind of how i think about it i do too and, and the songs are tremendous both i mean with david and sammy they always Absolutely. have great songs great songs my uh first choice that should be considered for the big four um is another band that has been considered heavy metal for years and they are really more hard rock um, they combine a rockabilly style with, you know, a really rawness that a lot of bands have tried to match and really have never been able to get to that level. And that's ACDC. Uh, ACDC has the biggest selling album of all time in hard rock and heavy metal, and that's Back in Black, the first album with Brian Johnson. Uh, their legacy is a band from Australia 
uh, you know, with 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 no fear and a in a raw energy, like I mentioned. You know, when you talk about Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, you know, their debut album, High Voltage, um, Powerage, which is my favorite, uh, Let There Be Rock, Highway to Hell, obviously, is the monster album that a lot of people identify with into the Brian Johnson area, Back in Black, for those about to rock, Flick of the Switch. They've had a lot of albums that have been hit or miss since then, some good stuff and some not-so-good stuff, maybe, or maybe stuff that hasn't connected with me on albums since Flick of the Switch. I will say Power Up is a awesome album all the way through. And for a band that debuted in the mid-70s to come out with an album in 2020, and I think it was the perfect timing of the album too because a lot of people needed something as a distraction because everybody was on lockdown. We were dealing with the, the height of the pandemic at that time. You know, the album Power Up really did save a lot of rock and roll fans. But you can't deny the hugeness of ACDC and you can't deny their influence in so many bands across so many different genres. Um, the songs are great. The performances are great. ACDC is great. I could not agree more. And it's really funny. Um, cause they were definitely up there for me too. Um, I've been in a kind of ACDC phase the last <laughs> couple of weeks. I've really been getting, you know, that, you know, diving back into, their records and you know just listening to some of my favorite acdc records and they're you know talk about another band um that kind of has everything that we were talking about too with van halen you know they managed to bring in a new singer um you know and both you know major albums that they did with each singer are you know some of the most iconic and most memorable albums in in rock history you know we look at highway to hell with bon scott you know, and then they managed to, after the loss of, you know, Bon Scott, bring in Brian and, you know, put out Back in Black. I mean, it's insane how they managed to, to switch singers, you know, and, and kind of overcome that loss, you know, instead of, you know, having it, you know, tank them. They, they brought in somebody else and managed to, like you said, continue into releasing an album in, you know, the the 2020s, basically. It's, it's insane. Um, and, and again, with, how iconic that sound is, you know, how memorable the ACDC sound is. You know, you can hear any song and within two seconds, you know, with not only the guitar tone and, and how iconic that is, but the vocals too. It's, you know, they're just a very memorable band. Um, and, and their influence is definitely seen throughout the the years. It's just, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words because they're just, I am trying to, I have so much going into my brain here thinking about them. Um, but they're just iconic, you know, that the image that they had, the sound that they had, um, and their body of work just speaks for itself. And both bands that we've mentioned and talked about Van Halen, and ACDC have a really common theme with their music and that's have a good time. You know, yeah, that is, you know, every party has a Van Halen or ACDC moment, right? Every bar you walk into, at some point in the night, we'll have Van Halen or ACDC playing. Their their music is so relatable to having a good time, to having a party, because they are a party, right? I mean, they bring that emotion, they bring that energy to wherever you're playing their music, right? I mean, it's just so identifiable with, you know, a party, a good time, you know, letting your hair down, you know, not thinking about tomorrow, thinking about today, and it's just, it's just great music, and that's I think it, it it 
connects with people across generations that you know are just out there wanting to have a smile. And I think a lot of rock since a couple of decades has missed out on that opportunity to connect with especially young people on just having a good time. You know, I mean, not every song has to be has to be deep or have a deep meaning to it. You know, a lot of music can just be about rock and roll and about doing whatever. And, you know, those two bands so much influence that type of style. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I think of kind of like feel good music that I go to, yeah, I, I kind of always gravitate towards. Van Halen record, you know, like the debut record or, or 1984 as one of my favorite records. Um, and same thing with ACDC. And it's funny cause you know, with ACDC, I, you know, the, the song that I think defines heavy metal, like if I had, I always say this, if I had to pick one song that defines heavy metal, I'd probably pick heaven and hell, um, by black Sabbath. But if I had to like pick, you know, a song that kind of describes like hard rock and, you know, kind of defines that era, I almost definitely pick Highway to Hell. Like, you know, it's just, it's got the vibe of rock and roll and it's just, I don't know, it's just so, so identifiable. And, you know, I, I also look at, you know, how, how bands translate to people, you know, the mainstream kind of society and, and their popularity and culture and everything, you know, just outside of rock fans. And, you know, you see DC again, like Van Halen is just one of those bands that even if you don't predominantly listen to this type of music, maybe if it's not your, you know, go to every single time you, you put on a record or, or a song, you know, if you're a hip hop fan or if you're a, I don't know, more of like a classical music person or, or whatever it may be, you know, you know, these songs, you know, these bands, you know, you don't have to be a, a huge rock fan to know, to know them as well. You know, that's, that's the effect of their, you know, their lasting impact. Um, and I think that that's a good way to, to kind of gauge a band's impact like that. You know, they, they play, I was talking about it, you know, they play um, crazy train, you know, at football games and, and baseball games all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's like the go-to for, um, for sport sporting events, you know, and it's like the same thing with ACDC, you know, you hear how many times have you heard back in black in a commercial or in a, you know, background of a, a football game, you know, it's, and that's, that I think is a really you know, kind of strong testament to how embedded some of these bands are in our culture. I agree. You couldn't have said it better. I mean, you know, when a casual music fan knows who ACDC is or knows who Van Halen is, that means that they've, you know, crossed, you know, crossed uh, genres into just mainstream, right? I mean, they are mainstream. And, you know, you can call them sellouts, you can say whatever, but the fact remains is casual fans will know because of how their music has been absorbed. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Who you got Um, next? Yeah, so again, another band that I think was incredibly instrumental in the heavy metal world, but I don't know if they were, they didn't quite make the the final four for me. Um, I got to go with Judas Priest. They were so influential to what became the heavy metal scene from, you know, when, when they came onto the scene. Um, Sound-wise, image-wise, you know, we see the introduction of, of leather and spikes, which you know, was influenced by Rob Halford and, you know, just that entire band, you know, that kind of translated into what we saw in the eighties and, you know, what kind of became heavy metal attire um, and, and how you can kind of recognize heavy metal fans now, you know, when you're out and about, you know, if they were in spikes or leather or any of that stuff. I mean, 
So not only being influential in that right, but influential just in in sound and and kind of what became heavy metal. You know the the really really aggressive riffing and you know that the heavy guitar sound. You know it's it's something that we saw. I mean you know we were kind of like saying with Van Halen. You know you could almost kind of cross it into being heavy metal, but Van Halen also didn't have the the kind of saying aggressive just because it's really you know heavy. The just the really heavy riffs that bands like Judas Priest had. And you can kind of see the progression of, you know, Judas Priest into Iron Maiden and eventually, you know, how that got into to thrash, you know, which we always talk about there's a thrash big for. Um, but Judas Priest is just their influences, I think sometimes underrated. I think a lot of people maybe don't see Judas Priest as being this really incredibly influential band. Um, they're a huge band, but I think sometimes when it comes to to the influence that they had, it's a little bit forgotten sometimes or maybe not forgotten but just a little you know swept over um but i, I think that there's no denying what they did for for that scene and kind of how they they changed the sound of, of what was to come i agree i mean if they were if we were picking a a big four for just heavy metal i would definitely select judas priest um they wouldn't make my big four for you know the hard rock, heavy metal, big four, their influence, like you said, is there. I mean, it, it definitely resonates. I mean, you, you, you think of interviews with Metallica and you think of interviews with other metal bands. They all mention Judas Priest and, you know, their, their, their style is, is so, you know, defining, right? I mean, again, you know, there's no other band that sounds like Judas Priest, especially because of Rob Halford's vocals. And, you know, to have a band like that, have commercial success in the in the early to mid eighties, you know, with their music, you know, says something about where music was back then, about how accessible it was and how, you know, young people really did connect with it. Um, I, I think their their longevity says a lot about them. I think their last album, Firepower, was a great album. I think there's been some hit and misses, you know, along the way, especially since Halford left, um, you know, to go start his band called Fight. And do some solo work, but um, when you just look at and oversee the body work, I mean, it is pretty impressive, and it's impressive for a band that has that sound to really be, you know, accepted by mainstream. When you think of songs like "You Got Another Thing Coming," "Living After Midnight," um, those are probably the two big that most people know. Judas Priest on "Breaking the Laws," probably another one. You know, every time. You know, you got pulled over getting a ticket from your friend, you know, or from a, from the police when you were in high school. Your friend in the passenger seat was like breaking the law, breaking the law. You know, so I mean, it definitely has you know that connection to it. But yeah, I think you know, if I was saying big four heavy metal, they would definitely be in, but definitely be in. But I don't know if they would make my my uh, top four for this one. Yeah, it was uh, funny that you said that. So. At work yesterday, um, talking to my boss, and so I live in the city. I live in Philly, um, and you know a lot of people I know, you know, don't drive too too much because you know public transportation here. But my boss, you know, he does have a car. You know, he's he's married, so they they have a car, and but his license is expired, um, and so he drives every once in a while, you know, he still knows how to drive, you know, he'll, uh, he was talking, he sometimes has to go to the grocery store and he was telling me yesterday, he's like, every time I get in the, uh, in the driver's seat and he starts driving, he's like breaking the law, just starts playing in my head. 
because his license is expired. But he's, and then again, that's funny because he's another person that he has no interest in heavy metal or hard rock at all, but he thinks of breaking the law, you know, when he's <laughs> driving with a, an expired license, which kind of, again, goes back to just the influence that we can obviously see in pop, popular culture, you know, you know, hearing from somebody who has no idea really anything about this whole world, but, you know, still knows breaking the law. You know, I think that that's, uh, again, kind of a testament to, to what they've, you know, accomplished in their career. And I mean, another band that released a fantastic record, you know, Firepower, which was the latest um, a couple years ago, phenomenal record, you know, still putting out new music, still touring. Um, it's insane. You know, there, there's no denying their, uh, their legacy here. Absolutely. You know, and tell your friend it's okay to drive on an expired license. It's not okay to drive on a suspended license. There's a difference. Like expired license, most cops will let you go. They may write you a $20 ticket, whatever. But, you know, the suspended license, that's a no-no. Don't do that. That's my, uh, that's my, public, uh, my public advice for this episode. My Funny. my next band, if I had to choose a band that uh, I'm I'm thinking of, is along the lines of heavy metal, and that would be Metallica. Metallica is a band that started an underground movement of thrash metal that started its own genre. The, them and Slayer were basically responsible for starting that. You could say Megadeth and Anthrax, maybe Testament and Exodus, but. Metallica and Slayer were really the start of that genre, and Metallica was the big name. Slayer was a little bit deeper into the occult and into satanic stuff, and that really was maybe a bridge too far for a lot of people, but Metallica really connected with a lot of young people, the youth of that generation. They were able to grow with each album. When you look at Seek and Destroy, Into Ride the Lightning, Into Master of Puppets, and, and Justice for All, those albums are considered, you know, the, the, the foreground, you know, the, the forefathers of thrash and heavy metal records. And that really did take the definition of heavy metal into a different area, right? Because since those albums, heavy metal has had a different definition since prior to Metallica. And they continue to evolve with the Black Album. We just celebrated the 30th anniversary of the album yesterday or the day before. And it, it, it just showed their evolution. It's a very polarizing album because, you know, the hardcore Metallica fans have rejected it and still reject it today as being a sellout album, you know. And I, I disagree. Metallica could not continue to make the same album and still be satisfied artistically as a band. They had to change. I mean, when you look at those albums, yes, they were evolving, but they was, there was a common thread throughout all of them, and they just had to take that next step. They hired Bob Rock to produce that album, and the whole landscape of their, of their music changed, and it opened themselves up to a huge audience that a couple of years prior to that album, you never thought that they were going to be able to reach those levels, and they did. And what that did is it brought heavy metal into the forefront. It brought heavy metal into mainstream because people who would not be listening to Metallica on the Master of Puppets album or the Injustice for All were listening to Metallica because their songs had hooks, their songs were shorter. Now you can say whatever you want to say about the music, the bottom line is is that it was the right decision for them. 
And I don't think they've sold out. They just evolved as people. I just re-aired an episode or just reposted an episode of why rock bands are conservative in that they don't like their artists to change. They don't like their artists to evolve. Probably the biggest example is Metallica. You know, everybody refers to Metallica with the first four albums, or not everybody, a lot of people refer to those first four albums and then nothing afterwards, right? And then you came with the reload and the load, or load and then reload, right? Which, you know, had their moments. I don't know if it was, as, you know, they were as, as, as strong as the Black album. St. Anger, you know, I'm not really a big fan yeah. of, you know. <laughs> Um, the, the, was it Lula or, or yeah, Lula album. I was, yeah, I, I understood what they were trying to do and I appreciated what they were trying to do, but it just didn't work for me. I thought death magnetic was very underrated and I think their new album hardwire, um, is fantastic. I think it's, I think it's a great, great album. So I think when we're like looking at the black album, you know, I think some people don't really understand how, influential that album was to a lot of different fans and also how it opened up a lot of doors for you know metal fans you know i kind of thinking about my own experience and you know growing up around hard rock and heavy metal because you know i've said it a lot on my podcast i'm sure people are kind of sick of me saying it you know i am on the younger side so i, I did miss a lot of you know the prime of these bands you know when they were releasing the albums that we're talking about and that you know fans love so much and i love so much but you know when i was growing up, I remember hearing songs from the Black Album, and that was what introduced me to Metallica and made me interested in Metallica and eventually, you know, is what led me to go back and listen to those albums, you know, once I matured a little bit and my music taste matured a little bit. Uh, but, you know, songs like, I know it's overplayed to death, but, you know, Enter Enter Sandman was one of those songs that I, I remember. And, you know, hearing that song, you know, I grew up knowing who Metallica was. Um, and I know that that's just one example, you know, it's a kind of a, a different example, but, you know, it's kind of like you were saying, I mean, it just opened a lot of doors and, you know, introduced that band to a lot of people outside of just the wheelhouse. And I always go back to it. I've never understood the whole, I don't know, just pigeonholing bands into one thing or, or metal or hard rock into one thing. It just, it's never made sense to me. I feel that way about the whole glam uh, metal era, which I love so much. And I've heard so many times that, Oh, you, you know, you like, I don't know, Dokken, um, you're a poser or, or some, I, I don't know, you like warrants, you know, you're a poser. It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, and it's like the same thing, you know, you like the black album, you know, you're not a real Metallica fan. Uh, you know, why are we, you know, the good songs are good songs. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you know, a band changes or, you know, yeah, they change from what they were normally doing. Um, but I mean, it's, do we really not want bands to, to evolve and, and to change a little bit? We just want them to keep making, but then on the other side of the coin, you know, fans keep doing what they've been doing. You know, you get the whole thing that people say about ACDC is that they sound the same, and it's like, so you can't win, you know, you can't, you don't want the bands to evolve, but you don't want the bands to change. And it kind of leaves the bands in a weird place of, you know, what, what do we do? And I think that that's a, a decent thing that we're kind of seeing with Metallica, you know, they changed and then they kind of go back to, to what they were kind of known for, you know, you see on those albums that you were talking about, you know, even like Hardwired, um, you know, we kind of see a little bit of that original Metallica sound in there and, you know, people are like, eh, it's okay, eh. You know what I mean? It's just, there's no winning. So wow. I, I think that I, I love that album. I love the black album. 
you know, I don't really give a damn what anybody says. It's, it's got catchy songs, you know, it's introduced metal to the masses in that way. So I got nothing bad to say about it. Right. I mean, when I talk to new bands on the show and I do my new music spotlights and a lot of times when I ask the question, what hooked you on rock and roll? A lot of times with these new bands, it's Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction or Metallica's Black Album. And you're right. right. I mean, it opened up so many doors to a new generation of hard rock and heavy metal fans. So, you know, if you're a Metallica fan and you're one of those people that says, oh, they're not real Metallica fans if, if their favorite album is the Black Album, that's not the case. I mean, that's where they came in, right? That's when they were young yeah. and that's, when they, that's what they identified with. You know, that was their first exposure to, to that band. So that doesn't be- mean you, you don't love the old stuff. That's right. what I think that people don't get. It's like, I can love the Black Album and I can also love Kill 'Em All and... Just because I love one doesn't mean I can't love the other. You know, it's not like I have to stay stuck in, into one era of the band. It's just I've never understood that that whole argument. <laughs> no, neither have I. And I just think it's such a tired argument. You know, it's it's you know, it's just the same thing with, you know, people who I can't listen to anything with Sammy Hagar or Brian Johnson, you know, isn't A C D C it's it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, it's good music. And let's be honest in, in about A C D C. Yes. Their music sounds exactly the same. But up until Power Up, I mean, people who go to their show don't want to hear the new stuff, right? I mean, they want to hear the classic stuff. They want to hear that stuff. And in large part, the reason why maybe some of their their newer albums have struggled up until Power Up is because of that same type of style of music. Power Up was a perfect storm. You had the pandemic. You had all this tension going on last year with the election and the protest and Everything happened. It was a shit year. And at the end of the year comes this album that everyone can just rally around because, as we talked about before, it made people feel good. It made people take their minds off the crap that was happening every time they saw you know, the news or went outside or didn't go outside. So it was perfect. And that album is awesome. And it's the same thing with Metallica, right? I mean, you know... When people listen to the Black Album, you know, that was like their pivotal point, you know, of taking their band from largely being underground. I know they had success with one and Injustice for All to really becoming superstars, right? They never would have reached that plateau. They never would be playing stadiums if if it wasn't for the Black Album. They never they would have been a band that would play twenty thousand, maybe, twenty thousand seaters, maybe, you know, mostly, you know, you know, five to ten thousands if they did not release the black album. That's just that's just fact. You know, yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's it's we we look at the other you know bands and you know, <clears throat> well, let's look at the, like the thrash big four, right? So I mean, we have you know Slayer, we have Megadeth, we have Anthrax, we have Metallica, right? I mean, Slayer. If we're if we're looking out of the the level of those bands, um, again, I'm kind of I kind of go back to how how well known they are and and kind of the effect that they had on on popular culture because that's kind of how like i said i sometimes it's the best way to gauge you know the the level of success here so i mean metallica we look at metallica out of all of those bands i think you know slayer is there because of just the name slayer is you know i think popular in the mainstream masses because of obviously what they did for, for thrash metal, but also, you know, Slayer, Notorious, right. You know, they're a really heavy band. 
you know, they carve, you know, Slayer into your arm, you know, like that kind of whole thing. Um, but we look at all the other bands. I mean, I don't know anybody who's not a rock fan that's, that's jamming a Megadeth. And I love Megadeth. I love Megadeth probably a little bit more than Metallica, in my opinion. Um, this isn't a, anything on Megadeth, but just like level of, of you know, popularity here outside of just the, the rock and metal community. I don't know many people who are listening to Megadeth or Anthrax outside of, of loving this genre or, you know, same thing with Slayer, you know, people, you know, know Slayer, but do they listen to Slayer? You know, Metallica is, you know, one of, I think the only band in that, that four that, you know, you could go up to somebody on the the street and be like, Hey, I understand, man. And they'd be like, yeah, I know that song. You know what I mean? It's just, so, I mean, there's, there's no denying, you know, and again, people can say that they sold out. It's, it's whatever they, people want to think, I guess, but you know, it's, I don't think that they their intentions in making that album were to quote unquote sell out. I don't think that they were trying to make this super ultra mainstream record and and you know let's shy away from you know what we did. I don't I don't think that that was the intention. I think that they were evolving and that's naturally kind of what what came out of it. I agree. You know, and it's a band that continues to make good music, and you know who yeah. knows how much longer they'll be around too as well. I mean, you know, they are getting up there in age father time is is ticking and you know they're very physical on stage too as well with how they perform absolutely absolutely so what do you got next oh man um it's funny because <laughs> i was gonna do one uh that i was like you know i'm gonna i think i'm gonna it's a little too related to one in my big four so i'm kind of kind of gonna shy away from it um but one this is a band that's more in the hard rock genre um, than heavy metal, but again, cannot cannot deny their influence even in the later metal stuff that we see. Um, and I got to go with Aerosmith. Um, Aerosmith is, you know, undeniably probably the the biggest American rock band, like hard rock band. Um, you know, we we see a lot of the the British bands, you know, that are really big. But you know, as for like American hard rock you know i don't think it really gets bigger than aerosmith um and again i go back to just the the influence of of the band on just what came later you know again we look at even image wise i it's so interesting seeing a lot of these early bands and you know just how massive they became and how that influenced to, to what came next you know, like the evolution of all this stuff is just fascinating to me but you know even like scarves on on steven tyler's mic stand you know influenced what what was to come even image wise um and also just music wise i mean they had such catchy songs um you know they they developed a little bit you know we see that first record um and they kind of got a little bit steven tyler's voice changed a little bit um you know like any band you know they were kind of finding their way but the riffs were there the catchiness of the song i think they appealed to a lot of different a lot of you know the the mainstream kind of masses at that time you know they weren't ultra doomy like a black sabbath and they weren't you know like a led zeppelin um they were kind of just we we're talking kind of about party rock and roll i feel like they they were it for for a little while so i mean i think that there's no denying what what aerosmith did and and has done for the hard rock scene and, and for the genre. And I think that, you know, even we look at, you know, Joe, Joe Perry's guitar playing and, and his riffs and, you know, that's definitely translated to even, you know, some styles in, in heavy metal. So I think other influences is there. 
I agree. I think that Aerosmith is one of the great American bands in hard rock history. Um, they're a band that had to reinvent themselves in the late 80s with Permanent Vacation. A lot of people don't like those albums as well. You know, too poppy, too commercial. You know, it's basically anything that has commercial success, for whatever reasons, a big portion of rock bands will immediately reject it, which, you know, I don't get, but whatever. I think a lot of that really quick, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I feel like in hard rock and heavy metal, fans feel kind of this sense of being an outcast and that, you know, we like things that, you know, other people don't like and it's, it's that kind of mentality. And so when somebody releases an album that appeals to people outside of this, you know, community that we have, it's almost like people feel betrayed, you know, that we're not, you know, that a band's not sticking to being an outcast and being, you know, unique and different and not, you know, going to what everybody would like. And I think that sometimes people take it as like a personal attack on, on the community. Um, you know, just, but it's like also bands can't control, like we were just saying, you know, bands can't control what becomes big and what, what doesn't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I also think that there's a large portion of fans that have those albums, but when they're around their buddies or their, you know, flexing their uh, flex- vacation, I don't listen to Ragdoll, you know, yeah. they go home and they play it. <laughs> it's like everybody says they hate, I hate Bon Jovi. They got a Bon Jovi album somewhere in their collection. <laughs> don't kid yourself, you know? Um, it's, it's funny how people do that, but no, Aerosmith, you know, great influence. I mean, a lot of bands coming out today, uh, new rock bands have a heavy Aerosmith influence. I think of Dirty Honey when, uh, I think of a band that, you know, exemplifies that and really does, uh, you know, show that influence. Um, you know, Steven Tyler, one of the greatest front man of all time, Joe Perry, a great, well, I should say Joe Perry and Brad Whitford, a great guitar tandem, very underrated in guitar, you know, tandems. They have very tasty riffs, a lot of space between their notes. Um, the rhythm sections with Tom Hamilton and Joey Kramer is phenomenal. You know, songs that still resonate, whether it's Dream On, Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way from the 70s to the new stuff like, you know, Dude Looks Like a Lady, What It Takes, you know, Crazy, Amazing, those, those songs that were on Living on the Edge. Um they, they, they still bring it. They're still great live. They, they are still, you know, I don't know if they're going to be touring again. You know, the age is starting to catch up with them and plus two with COVID. But uh, you can't deny the influence that Aerosmith has had on hard rock. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so many of their songs, like you said, just still translate to, to today and are still as popular as, as ever. And, uh, I mean, yeah, we were kind of talking about, you know, Steven Tyler and, you know, just how how his, you know, performance as a front man also just kind of translated to a lot of the bands that we saw come after, you know what I mean? And again, I feel like they're another band that maybe isn't, I don't want to say they're they're not forgotten. I mean, that's, that's the wrong word, but I feel like sometimes their influence is, is underrated, you know what I mean? We think a lot of these bigger, I think a lot of more of these bigger bands first. Um, but I think that Aerosmith is, is definitely is definitely up there. My next band is always kind of categorized as a, being being a joke, you know, for a lot of people. And that band is Kiss. I understand why people have that perspective, especially in the late seventies. 
you know, into the early eighties when, you know, they were really, they really started to follow trends instead of setting, you know, setting the trends. But, you know, you can't deny the first six studio albums and the two live albums that came at the beginning of their career um, as, as being huge for, you know, fans all over the place and, and fans across the, across the globe, you know, without a live I don't know if the 70s becomes the era of live records, live albums, because that was such a huge album for the band. And later you know, on, you saw all these other bands releasing live albums because of that, because of how it sold and because of how it captured the energy of the band. The first three records, you can always make the claim that you know, the mix, the production was kind of amateurish, you know, or as, as we think of production now. I know they they do sound a little better as they've been remastered. Although Hotter Than Hell still has some issues, even though I love that album. But then you went into the next three studio albums with, you know, Destroyer, Love Gun, Rock and Roll Over, Into Alive Two. These albums have great songs, and you know, over the years after that, you know, when Gene and Paul, you know, more or less went with other people after Peter and Ace left the band, and then rejoined the band. You know, you look at some of the 80s stuff with Creatures of the Night, look it up, two incredible albums that I don't really think people give justification or the right justification to because they're phenomenal albums. Animalize is another one you consider. But they really did, again, with Asylum and Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade, really began to kind of fall back and just kind of put it in cruise control and, and um, you know follow the trends instead of set the trends, as I'm trying to say. But they're still a very huge, influential band. You talk to any legacy artist, what hooked you on rock and roll? 90% of them are either going to say the Beatles or they're going to say Kiss. And, yeah. you know, especially Ace Freely. You talk to a guitar player, Ace Freely, when they saw the guitar in smoke go up to the rafters at the concert hall they were at, influenced so many people, exposed so many people to music, made people want to play music. So you can't deny their influence. Their body of work, as time has gone on, isn't as strong as some of the other bands, but um, you can't deny what they brought to the table in the you know, early to, to mid-70s. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that, kind of like you were saying, they, they inspired so many of those bands that we came to see in, in the 80s um, and even you know the, the early 90s. And, uh, yeah, their, their body of work definitely got a little, you know, as we kind of got into the nineties, I mean, I still love psycho circus and, and that record when they kind of reunited and everything. Um, but you know, they haven't also released a lot of, you know, new music since after, you know, that point either. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk to, like you said, any, anybody who was just a kid in the seventies, I mean, musician or not, um, and they, they loved Kiss. I mean, I, my dad's told me about it many times of, you know, him being seven years old or seven, eight years old and, you know, hearing about Kiss and what was so amazing about them is that I feel like they, you know, just had this overwhelming amount of mystery to them and they made them almost like I've heard many times kind of like superheroes. And I think that it kind of exposed the world of rock to kind of like we were talking about just a lot of different people and the mystery kind of intrigued a lot of people as well. Um, and I know that there is, I've heard a lot of kind of differing things. I, I know some people are like, you know, kiss was just 
Kiss is a very overrated band. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in like comment sections of, you know, when somebody covers something from like Paul Stanley or, you know, in like the blabbermouth or, you know, press outlet comment sections, you know, that Kiss is an overrated band, you know, that they're just, uh, for image and their songs suck. And I mean, I've never gotten that. I I've always loved Kiss's music and they're one of those bands that I had to see the songs live to really appreciate them at first. I mean, I was a Kiss fan, but you know, I saw Ace Freely do a, a solo gig and you know, he did a lot of those songs and they're just a band that I think you have to kind of see live to to really get it um and i mean we saw, obviously saw that with alive right you know they put that album out i think that that definitely translated into the success that that record had but no i mean there's no denying the, the influence that they had you know sound wise again image wise and just uh kind of what it was to be a rock star at that time and uh yeah i mean people can say what they want but i think that they were they were influential i i definitely wouldn't probably place them in in the top four um for like kind of just spanning influence for a wider variety of bands but i think that they were very influential for you know the scene and uh again another one of those bands that everybody knows Again, you know, when you talk about bands and influence, you talk about mainstream. It's what it's what is brought to the mainstream that at one time kept driving rock music, hard rock music, heavy metal. You know, you talk about Kiss, they became mainstream. ACDC, Van Halen, um, Guns N' Roses, as Guns N' Roses, uh, Metallica. You know, all these bands. You know, even you know with Led Zeppelin. They became mainstream, and what that did is it brought in more rock fans. That's why, you know, I get on these kicks about, you know, new music and the need for it to be relevant again. Because when it's relevant, people listen, and people be- it becomes inclusive, and people start to listen to it. It opens up so many doors with, with new musicians and people that want to be in bands again. And that's why it's important. When it's in the back seat, it's really hard to keep it going. And not to say that rock is dying and rock is dead, because it's not. But it is, it's becoming harder to find. You have to really work at it. So, you know, when, when people complain about, you know, Kiss or Metallica, oh, you know, they're mainstream, oh, you know, this and that, they suck or whatever, you're missing the point. The genre that you love needs bands like that to penetrate the wall of mainstream music kind of like what mammoth is doing right now with their debut album right when's the last time a hard rock album heavy metal album that was new i'm not talking about acdc or anything became number one on mainstream rock it's been forever it's been forever so um you know we need stuff like that we need stuff like that happen so stop being it's amazing how hard rock and metal fans you know, always want people to participate in, you know, oh, it's for everybody, blah, blah, blah. But not if you're a Kiss fan. Oh, not if you like Metallica Black Album. Oh, not if you like Motley Crue. It's like, come on, you know, like people have different tastes. Accept it. You like what you like. People like what you like. And hard rock and heavy metal, although there's great musicians in bands and doing things, it's not always about the musicianship. It's about the attitude. It's about the feel. And that's why it is the middle finger of music genres. Yeah. I mean, and I think that sometimes people forget that 
for a while there, rock was the mainstream, you know what I mean? For, you know, in the seventies and, and the eighties and even the early nineties, you know what I mean? I think now it's definitely more of an underground thing, um, more of kind of a, a niche genre in some ways, um, just because of how things have evolved, which there's a whole slew of reasons for that. But, you know, rock was the mainstream for a little while there. And yeah, you did have the, I know you had disco and I know you had, you know, in the seventies and then you had kind of new wave and punk and then pop and stuff. Of course, those things were still there, but you know, I've heard, I have a lot of friends who, you know, and my parents even who were around, you know, during that time. And, you know, anybody could be wearing a, go to a concert and come back with a Dio shirt. I mean, it was the norm. It wasn't like, you know, nowadays if I wear a, a rock shirt, it's like, oh, wow, you're actually a fan of that band? You know, it was mainstream for a while. So, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. Like you said, I don't really understand the, the the not want for it to be mainstream. Like a good example um, is Miley Cyrus uh, was talking about she's doing a Metallica covers album and people are automatically just, I don't even think it's come out yet. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think she's still working on it. Um, but when that was announced and, and she had said in interviews that that's what she was working on, it was like automatically people just started dumping on it. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it could be really great and it could be an opportunity to get this younger generation into new, you know, into rock music and, you know, me, yeah, getting them into Metallica, it's an older band, but you know, that could be the gateway for people to get into new bands. And so it's, it's, yeah, again, it's like, you know, people want this genre to live on. Um, it's only going to live on if, if people listen to it. Um, and, and that's kind of the way to do it. You know, at, at this point I'm all for, any way to get people more into this genre. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll take it any way it comes. I, I see what you're saying. I've always had an issue with Miley Cyrus and what she's doing. Um, and it's, it's because I don't think, I don't think it's authentic. I think it's a money grab. Um, I think, you know, that's just how I feel about it. I, I just, when I see her, I think she's very talented. Um, but I think, What's happening and what I'm seeing happen is that there's been an effort to redefine what rock music is. And, you know, when we look at the rock charts or we look at the nominees for the Grammys, and not that rock fans and hard rock and heavy metal fans should care what the Grammys do or what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does. But it's like I look at some of the bands and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this isn't rock music. Like, So I think it just Miley Cyrus kind of perpetuates that for me. Um I always think it's better when a band has its roots in rock, like a Dirty Honey or like a Joyous Wolf or, you know, the Struts or whatever. And they're new and they're building an audience and then they punch through to the mainstream. I always I always appreciate that more because it's it came from that place of influence. Right. It's not, you know, they're, they're really doing it. And well, yeah, I mean, I think that her last album was kind of marketed, like you said, as a rock album. And at first I was like, when, when it was kind of not released yet, um, I was like, you know, maybe she, she actually is, I don't know. And I listened to it. It's definitely not a rock album um, at all. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's definitely not a rock album. Um, it's a pop album. Um, I, I remember listening to the first song when it came out and I was like, you know, people are like, she released like the rock album of like the year. And I was like, this is not, this is not rock. So, I mean, I definitely agree with the fact of like, 
you know, I see things like Imagine Dragons and stuff. I'm like, this is like pop. Um, it's, also, it's, it's, it's alternative. It's like it's like what yeah. we would call when I was growing up new wave. That's that's yeah, basically exactly. new wave music, you know. And it's it's it, you know it's being defined now as rock and hard rock. And I'm like, this is nothing. Like Weezer is defined as hard rock. Weezer is new wave alternative. Yeah. They're not rock. They're not hard rock at all ever. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's weird how they're how they're defining things now. But I I think. I think my main takeaway from that was just like, or my main, what I was trying to say is just, I mean, I think that some people don't like, like, I know there was like a big thing with like the Lady Gaga thing when she performed Metallica and, and all these things. And I, I know, God, it's like, I was thinking of Pink too, like Pink, she's a big rock fan and she, she does pop mostly, but I think some people don't really like that and I can understand why they don't, but you know, in a way been able to you know introduce other people who aren't necessarily rock fans to this scene and i think that that can just be very helpful you know in helping these bands like you know like you were saying like a dirty honey like uh i don't I'm not a huge i'm not the biggest fan but like greta van fleet um you know a lot of those bands joyous wolf you know I, I think that it can help maybe propel those bands if if some people can become more interested um, but I, I totally know what you're saying, though. I mean, I definitely don't think that, you know, they're going to be the next, like Miley Cyrus is going to be the next big rock artist. But, you know, it's, I, I think just the introduction maybe to those, some of those bands could could be helpful from somebody like her, um, you know, who has has a hold basically on, on this jo- uh, generation. I agree. I agree. So... We are uh, we're going a bit long here because we are so passionate about the bands that we uh, <laughs> we think should be part of the top four. Let's just do a quick rundown, you know, of bands before we get into our picks. What who else you got that could should be considered for the top four? I know there are some obvious choices, but uh, who else are you, are you thinking? Um, yeah, I'm saving my obvious choices for the the final four. Um, okay. but other ones that I had, um, Iron Maiden, you know, can't can't deny their their influence on on the metal i mean arguably one of the greatest metal bands of all time i mean who doesn't love iron maiden um i was also thinking guns and roses i mean i know that that can be a slippery slope for some people but i mean the impact that that first album had on the scene at that time changed everything for for music at that point and I know that that was kind of later on I mean I don't I definitely wouldn't put them in in a top four but I think that they definitely should be considered just even for that record alone like I would say that even if we were just looking at Appetite for Destruction to be honest because just the influence that that, that album has had on like you were saying I mean for either Kiss or it's I'm not Kiss I, God, we were talking about a debut album earlier on um anyway you know appetite for destruction is one of those albums that almost any kind of like modern newer musician you know sites as being an influence um so i have to say guns and roses um i definitely you know we talked about metallica which i i definitely think would be an influential band um and other than that i mean i also thought maybe the scorpions a little bit i know that that was kind of a um, one that was mentioned in the poll that you had said or put up, it was quite a bit. Um, I mean, I think that they, they were around for so many years before they made it big. Um, and I think that you know, even uh, Shanker's early 
guitar work. I'm speaking of Shanker. That's another one. UFO. UFO, I think, is should definitely be considered. They influenced the thrash big four wholeheartedly, um, and they're extremely underrated. I think that the influence that they had is almost all the time unnoticed by anybody. Um, so, I mean, I think that that they'd be in consideration. Definitely not maybe the top four, but should be considered. My picks for bands, I mean, I agree with you in Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is bigger now than ever before, bigger than yeah. they were uh, back when I was growing up. And if, you know, you would have told me that they would be accepted into mainstream, I would have been, you're kidding me. But here we are. Um, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, is just tremendous in their career and their longevity. And they still continue to put out good music, too. Like, their new albums are just as good as their classic albums. And I mean that sincerely. Oh, yeah. um, some of the obvious choices, and I'll mention them. I know you're saving yours. Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, of course, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, you know, those bands, you know, as well. Rush is, you know, a tremendous band with a lot of influence and a huge body of work and a huge catalog that they have been able to produce time and time again over the years, over generations. Great musicianship. I know they're not for everybody. You know, they're, they're very proggy. But, yeah, I was going to say, people are going to, it's like a running joke on the show I'm on on Monday nights. Um, and Mike Portnoy even gives me crap for this. I'm, I'm just like not a Rush fan at all. It's like the, and I can totally like, I agree with everything that you're saying though, because I think that their, their influence is undeniable, um, but just not for me. <laughs> well, everybody has their faults, Sydney. Oh everybody, yeah. Everybody has their faults. <laughs> um, uh, you know, but uh, you know, they're, they're a great band, a band that, you know, I grew up with too as well. I mean, yeah. you can't deny, you know, like, like you said, their body work and their influence. Um, I don't know if I mentioned Alice Cooper, of course, you know, with the shock rock yeah. and everything and a uh, huge influential band there. Uh, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anybody. Um I don't think I am. I know people have mentioned Motorhead and Pantera. Those guys are obviously great bands. I don't know if I'd put them in a category of being considered for the big four. They definitely have their niche um, in what they do. But in terms of mainstream success, in terms of you know casual fans knowing their music, I don't know if there's a lot of people that could name a, a Motorhead song who are just casual rock fans or a Pantera song. Uh, yeah. but not to say, I'm not saying they're bad. So don't come after me and say, I can't believe you said that. You know, I didn't say anything negative. I'm just saying on, you know, the totem pole of rock music and rock bands. I don't know if I would consider them, you know, in the, in the conversation for the top four. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So relax people. Um, I would, you know, I would consider, you know, someone selling me on Def Leppard just because of their popularity in the eighties and their body of work and how they evolved. Um, I wouldn't put them on my list, but I do, I do appreciate what they've done. Um, it seems a little out of, I, I look at some of the, you know, the poll answers that you had. Um, it just, to me, it just seems a little out of place, like next to Led Zeppelin. And I love Def Leppard. Like I, I love Def Leppard so much. This is not anything on Def Leppard, but like when you have a list and it's like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Def Leppard, to me, it's just it's a little like, ah, yeah. I don't know about that. But. No, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, they definitely, you know, had their time and, and they definitely influenced bands. Um, but again, we're talking about the pendulum 
of the big rock bands, the big four. And I don't know if they quite get there as, as, as does Motley Crue. I don't know if Motley Crue quite yeah. gets there too, oh, as well. You yeah. know, um, I think they had a nice career. I think they got great music, but I just don't think that they're, you know, I don't know if you put them in that big four category. So are, yeah. we, are we forgetting anybody? I, I don't think we are. No, I mean, I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, I've come to learn that it's really hard to, to think is. of everybody. So, I mean, odds are I'll probably get off of this and be like, oh, I forgot somebody. But there's just there's been so, and that's, I guess, a really great thing, that there's so many bands that have done so much for this genre that it's hard to think of them all. I mean, someone could make the argument, I consider grunge hard rock, you know? I don't, you know. Yeah. And someone could say Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Um you know, I don't know. I, I, Nirvana eh. never Nirvana never connected with me. Um, Pearl Jam, I've become a fan as I've gotten older, as I've you know appreciated their music. Back when I was younger, I, I didn't really connect with them that all that much. But now that I'm older, I do I do like Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, two of my favorite bands. You know, they did have that that hard rock edge to them that maybe the other bands from that era didn't. But again, with like Def Leppard, like Motley Crue, I think they're great. I just don't think they get there yeah. in that conversation. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. All right. So what's your four? Let's start with your number four. All right. Um, so just a very obvious. This is a very obvious list, but I think um, it's obvious for a reason. Um, so my number four, um, I'm going to go with uh, Deep Purple. I think it's funny. I have two bands on here that Richie Blackmore is in, but. Deep Purple, I mean, arguably, you know, released what probably the the most mainstream rock song of our time, you know, Smoke on the Water. Um, and I mean, I think that there, there's just no denying uh, just Richie Blackmore's influence on literally just everything that came after the work that he did. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's it's even hard for me to like come with the words work just because I mean, I, I think it's almost, you know, it's an obvious choice. I mean, we all know why we we love Deep Purple. I mean, it's just a fantastic band. Another one of those bands that so I guess some of their other catalog is a little bit I find underrated. I just think sometimes people gravitate a little too much towards just like smoke on the water, you know, maybe people who aren't super into this scene but i mean i just i love deep purple they, they had to be on the list somewhere i i agree deep purple is a a great band and i know a lot of people would consider them for their top four my favorite era of deep purple is the david coverdale era of deep purple oh so I, good i love burn i love stormbringer um I, I i love those albums i think it just brings a whole new element to the band and makes the band a little bit more layered in terms of their sound with that r&b and that soulful type of sound and Blackmore really shows his diversity with going from, you know, what we knew with, you know, the, 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 the Ian Gillen albums to, you know, David Coverdale. I mean, you hear his playing on smoke on the water and, you know, gosh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of, I'm throwing a blank here. Um, my woman from Tokyo and you hear those songs and then you hear with David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, it's a whole nother you know, avenue that they went down and it showed their diversity. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I like them. Um, I don't know if I would put them in my top four. I think they're just outside of it. 
as is Metallica. I think Metallica and Deep Purple are like my five and six. Um, if I were to choose a number four, as we talked about earlier in the show, I would choose Van Halen, um, more or less because they changed the game so much in 1978 and their body work with two singers. We discussed all the great things about Van Halen, but that would be in my number four. Yeah, it's a great choice. It's, it was, it was close to being in mine too. It was, it was really close. Um, my number three, I have to go with another band that Richie Blackmore was in. Um, and I got to go with Rainbow. Um, Rainbow was, I think, we were talking about diversity. And I think that we saw a lot of diversity when it came to Rainbow and, you know, how it, it ebbed and flowed with the, the sounds at that time. I mean, you know, it gave us the beginnings of, you know, Ronnie James Dio, which, I mean, say, say no more. I mean, <laughs> he's arguably, you know, one of the greatest vocalists that has ever lived. Um, so it gave us Ronnie at first. And then we kind of see, you know, I know a lot of people don't really, you know, love some of the more commercial stuff. Again, we go back to that, that same sentiment. But I love Jolyn Turner. Jolyn Turner is one of my favorite vocalists of all time. And uh, the work that they did, I, I feel like together is just some of my, my favorite albums. I mean, Straight Between the Eyes, Been Out of Shape, some of my favorite records. I and mean, even with Graham Bonnet, you know what I mean? I think that they had a lot of different eras of that band that were great in all of you know their own ways. Um, and again, just the influence that, you know, songs like, you know, long live rock and roll had on the genre is just, it's almost unexpressible because it, it just had such profound effect on what was to come. So how to go with rainbow, you know, rainbow again with Richie Blackmore. I mean, it's very proggy in the beginning, you know, those first couple of albums were it's a Babylon. Yeah. It's yeah, like a, yeah. And again, like you said, yeah. you said it perfectly. It gave us Ronnie James deal. It was the birthplace. I mean, I know he was an elf prior to that, but really, you know, when you think of Ronnie James Dio, the beginnings that most people think of are in Rainbow, then to Sabbath, then to then to you know the the aforementioned band named Dio. So yeah. you know, it's it's an interesting career, and it's a band too that went into a lot of different directions after Dio left commercial. Um, they had a lot of success with some songs with Joel and Turner. Uh, it, it definitely, and also Graham Bonnet, like you said, they're definitely a band that doesn't get a lot of recognition as being a huge influence on heavy metal and hard rock. Yeah. And, and in my opinion, I I think that they, they should deserve, you know, more credit. I mean, it's just, uh, just the musicianship in that band. You know, I think of like Cozy Powell, like just insane musicianship that we saw, you know what I mean? It's just, it's almost unfathomable how talented everybody in that band was, especially in the beginning, you know, like it just, I look at that beginning kind of era of rainbow and it's just like, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't get more kind of classic beginnings of, of hard rock to, you know, to me than that. That's a good choice. Good pick. Um, my number three is again, a band we talked about ACDC. Um, I just think that with their, popularity and the amount of albums they've sold in the body of work that we mentioned. I don't think, you know, you can, you can leave them out. I think that they're such a band that has impact and impacted and influenced so many bands and still to this day influenced so many guitar players, so many bands. We talked about it in length about what they mean to hard rock and heavy metal. Say no more. It's for me, it's uh they're not number three. Yeah, they, again, I was like, Van Halen and ACDC were like right underneath for me. Um, great choice. Uh, 
Number two, um, my top two are the choices I haven't said yet, most obvious, um, but I have to go with Led Zeppelin. To me, it's a constant battle between uh, the second choice, and I or I know it's a constant battle also for other people, you know, um, Led Zeppelin, and then what my first choice will be of, you know, kind of the creators of, of what became heavy metal. And what I think is so interesting about Led Zeppelin is that, you know, a lot of people maybe don't deem them as being a heavy metal band, but for the time and, and what they were doing, um, you know, before, because I mean, this is, they're arguably, you know, one of the the parents of, you know, heavy metal and, and what became heavy metal. I mean, I know some people may not think of it as heavy metal now, but, you know, you think of like the the very heavy parts and like, babe, I'm going to leave you, you know, at that time period in the late 60s and the early 70s, I mean, that was metal. That was stuff that like, man, this was heavy. Um, and I, I know that we've seen a lot heavier stuff since then, but, you know, without those beginnings, we might not have seen, you know, the Metallicas and the Megadeths and the Anthraxes of, of today. So Judas Priest, I mean, you know, Judas Priest yeah. basically says without Black Sabbath, there's no priest. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's no denying just like, it's just how, where it all started. I mean, those, those two bands, I mean, my number one, I'm sure we all know, but I mean, those two bands just influenced everything. And I think that with, I often wonder what it would be like, you know, without, the influence of Led Zeppelin. I mean, you know, again, we talk about musicianship, Jimmy Page. I mean, come on. Uh, one of the most iconic guitar players that has ever been. I mean, everybody's, he's on every guitar player's influence list of people who, you know, they admire. And, and I mean, rightfully so he created some of the most memorable riffs and uh, guitar, you know, sounds of, of our time. So, I mean, they, they had to be on the list for me. I think that, I would say that it's more, God, because I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. I mean, Led Zeppelin, I feel like is more, became the catalyst of stuff that, for like hard rock, like more of like the, the birth of hard rock um, and, and metal too. But I think that as kind of music progressed, it kind of became more so like the blueprint for hard rock, but metal too. I agree with you. And I think we'll be talking about the, about them again very soon. Um, yeah. my number two is Black Sabbath. Uh, you know, Black Sabbath really is the forefather of heavy metal. And I agree with you. What you also said about Led Zeppelin is being also a huge influence on heavy metal. I mean, you look at some of the, the, um, the arrangements that are on a lot of the Led Zeppelin albums and you look at some of the stuff that, you know, was influenced in the metal. You can totally hear it, but you know, Black Sabbath, you know, with Ozzy Osbourne and, you know, those first few albums, you know, Masters of Reality, you know, the the, the debut, Paranoid, uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, um, just were incredible, incredible albums. I know they were kind of on the downside the last two that they did with, you know, with, uh, with Ozzy, but you can't deny, and like, as I mentioned you know, Judas Priest, for instance, there is no Judas Priest. Iron Maiden, there's no Iron Maiden, there's no Metallica without Black Sabbath. And also Led Zeppelin, too. But I just think that tone of Iommi's guitar, I mean, you can basically lay the foundation of heavy metal with Tony Iommi, with that oh. tone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a tremendous, you know, how he just, you know, made it very atmospheric and how he played, you know, the notes. You know, obviously his finger being severed had a lot to do with it, but 
you know, just that that tone that he was able to produce from his guitar is just it, that is the base of everything that is heavy metal. Yeah, and uh, that goes into my number one, which is Black Sabbath. Um, and I often wonder what music the music I love would sound like right now if uh, Tony Iommi did not lose his fingers, and you know, because he had a he had to tune the strings down so that they'd be easier for him to bend. And I mean, that's the uh, literally the birthplace of of the music that I love and you love so much. You know what I mean? It's just it's mind boggling. I mean, to me, Black Sabbath. I know, like I was kind of you know, hinting towards before. I mean, I know it comes down to the wire for a lot of people for heavy metal. If it was Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath for me, for heavy metal, I definitely, you know, would cite Black Sabbath as being, you know, the, the forefathers of that genre. And, you know, I mean, it's just every, like you said, every single band kind of goes back to that blueprint, you know, the, we think about the tritones and, you know, the, how that was brought in. And, you know, again, like we, I think of heavy metal, I think of, you know, kind of like, really heavy obviously power chords and i mean just the just the whole doomy vibe that you know kind of black sabbath had um was translated into all of the the heavy metal that that came after you know even if you we get into more of the subgenres that kind of branched off you know the thrash metal the death metal the black metal you know it all came from black sabbath you know that's that's where it started so i mean and then I said it earlier, you know, I love the stuff with Ozzy as well, but I also love Black Sabbath with, with Dio. You know, I said it earlier, I cite Heaven and Hell as if you had to give me one song to, to give somebody of what, like, what is one song that describes heavy metal, you know, in a, in a vibe, um, I would say Heaven and Hell. That song is just, to me, everything that is heavy metal. Um, just the chords in the beginning and the breakdown and how it gets heavier at the end. It's just, it's perfect. I think that uh, Black Sabbath just can do no wrong. Um, they're my number one. Great pick for number one. My choice is Led Zeppelin. You know, we kind of flip-flopped here, one and yeah. two. <laughs> um, but my, you know, my thoughts on Zeppelin is it all starts with Bonham. And when you hear the influence of drummers after Bonham and the way he hit the drums with a fierce and a force that, you know, was never heard before. Um, you know, Steve Perry mentions it in an interview the first time he heard Good Times, Bad Times on the radio. He had never heard drums like that. And I think when people lose sight of Zeppelin influence heavy metal bands, whereas they say, oh, Zabbath influenced them. I think if you take Iomi's guitar tone in Bonham's drums, those two are the undeniable forces of influence in heavy metal. I mean, there's just nothing that you can say that, 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 you know, can, can counter that, you know, cause there was nothing before when you heard that intro of good times, bad times and that pounding that he does. And, you know, the way he played and the way he played it with the pocket, it was just, it was just incredible. And it's understandable why that band couldn't continue without him. They, they just couldn't do it, not just because of the way he played, but the way they played off of each other. He's one of the very few drummers that actually played to the guitar player instead of the bass player, which then tells me that John Paul Jones is a very underrated bass player because he's never you know, brought up in conversations of, of you know, the top great bass players. He had to play, he had to find his spots with a drummer that was playing like that to the guitar player, the legendary Jimmy Page, and, you know, 
find a spot for him to play or, or make it sound good. I mean, he had you have to be an incredible musician to realize that and to do that. Very similar to what Alex Lifeson did in Rush, you know, when you have Getty Lee, a monster on bass, and you have Neil Peart, a monster on drums, you're a guitar player. you got to find where your phrasing goes and all that kind of stuff. When yeah, you, I... I- Oh, sorry. I thought you were finished. Go ahead. No. Um, <laughs> and then it leads to, like I said, the legendary guitar player, Jimmy Page, who arguably has influenced as many guitar players as Jimi Hendrix, as Eddie Van Halen. And I know people like to say he's sloppy, but that is so rock and roll. That's what makes him so rock and roll is he plays by feel. He plays what he's feeling. And it, and it comes out sloppy sometimes. And sometimes it's, it is slop, but it sounds so freaking cool. And to the front man, the original golden god, Robert Plant, who was 19 years old when he made the first Led Zeppelin album. Tremendous voice, a voice that I know if people have said this before, and I'm, I don't know who originally said it, but if sex had a voice, it would sound like Robert <laughs> Plant. Um Ultimately, you have the ultimate band that could do everything. Play metal, play rock and roll, play rockabilly, play blues rock, play folk rock. They could do it all. They could do it all. And I I don't know if there's a band on the list that there are bands that were diverse. You know, we think of Deep Purple. You know, we think of, you know, even even Black Sabbath when they, you know, as they ventured on. But the deepness of the diversity of Led Zeppelin there is no match. There is no one that compares, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just, I mean, we think of some of the biggest rock bands of, of all time. I mean, also, I'm, I'm thinking, too, of, uh, you know, The Who is one that we left out. I was thinking. Yes, yes as, you're right. Wow. You know, that's, yeah, I, I can't believe. I told you. I told you. It, it just sneaks up on you. Um, but The Who, I mean, you know, we think of and the Rolling Stones. That's another one we forgot. Rolling Stones um, more rock. They're more blues rock. But so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're more rock. But, you know, when, when I'm thinking of, like, those big bands, I mean, just just the scope of, of what bands like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, you know, are to society. And, again, I going back to just in popular culture, I mean, everybody knows those songs. You know, everybody knows Stairway to Heaven. Everybody knows Paranoid. And I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of the, the deeper cuts from those bands. But I mean, when we look at just the influence and the scope of, of their influence on culture and, and obviously the genre, it's just, it's immense. It's almost, you know, so much too much to even like think about. You know what I mean? It's just, it's mind blowing. We also forgot Queen. Oh, shit. God damn it, we got to re-record it. Let's start over. Um, uh, no, Queen, you know, Queen kind of has two different careers, too, as well. They've got, yeah. the, you know, the hard rock stuff, heavy metal stuff in the 70s, and then they kind of evolved into more of a, you know, British pop act, you know, as, yeah. they, as they, you know. So, you know, obviously they influenced so many people. They influenced, you know, so many singers, especially Freddie Mercury, Brian May, you know, is a, is an incredible guitar player. The whole band is phenomenal. Um, but, you know, again, I think if we're talking top four, I don't know if I'd put him in there. I know a lot of people yeah. in the UK would probably put him in the top four. But, For hard um, rock and heavy metal, I don't I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, like you said, I think that they kind of went into such a, a more pop-based place. I, I also never, I mean, they were hard rock. I, I mean, I definitely would say that. But, I mean, they were never, like, to me, super hard rock. It, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, even the earlier stuff to me wasn't like, Ooh, this is like really, you know, kind of like heavy. 
Um, obviously, you can't deny their influence. They're one of the most influential, you know, acts out there, like you said, especially for singers. But I, I don't know if they'd make my top list either. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's important to include them. Um, yeah. I, know, I know we're probably going to think of other bands, too. But but really, I mean, for, for us to have the same two bands in the top two just flip-flop, <laughs> I mean, it really... You know, I mean, those two are the bands when you think of hard rock yeah. and heavy metal. I mean, you know, I don't think, you know, what's really unique about those bands is I don't think Zeppelin could play Black Sabbath and I don't think Black Sabbath could play Zeppelin. Um, yeah. You know, that's a really distinct thing, too, as well, because um, they may try and it may sound like but they're, but they're not going to sound as if they were the same band. And I just think that with those bands and what they brought, and I still think the foundation is Iomi's guitar and Bonham's drums, you know, that if you hear you hear both of those influences in every hard rock and heavy metal band that there is you just hear it yeah it's the, like i said it's there's like a piece of there's a piece of each of those bands and and every band that came after so i mean it's just and, and anybody in a band would would tell you that too yeah i you, you absolutely you nailed it right there absolutely um it is yeah. a very distinct thing that these two bands continue to influence music after, gosh, what, 50-some years after their debut? 50-plus years? Incredible. Um, it's, yeah. It's just... It's insane. It is insane. It, it really is. And, and still be relevant, still thought of as, you know... I mean, if Zeppelin did a reunion, which they won't, and, and they probably shouldn't at this point, do you know how much ticket sales would be? <laughs> I'd be obscene. It... it, it uh... It would be, uh, it, would be it would be I would have to I I would have to liquidate to all my assets. Yeah. To get decency. Oh, your firstborn child, yeah. I, I mean well, he knows. Even- he knows that if they do come, he's he's unfortunately out of the picture. Yeah, my dad would do the same. He'd be like, Listen, Sydney, it was a good time, but what's up one? It's like it's like uh, you know, Christopher, you're 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 eighteen you're gonna be eighteen in a couple years. I think I've done all I can. And, um, you know, I think you're on a, I think you're on a good road to success. So really, uh, a really great story really quick, just uh, that I thought you would find really great because, you know, you, we both love new bands too. So I unfortunately wasn't here for this story, but I've heard it many times. Um, so my dad's favorite band is Led Zeppelin. Um, and have you heard of the band Graveyard? Yes. 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 So my parents, you know, went to go see Graveyard in New York City. And so my mom, who at the time was, you know, she'd go out and smoke a cigarette here and there. Um, she went out, they were at Webster Hall in New York City, and she went out to smoke a cigarette and she looks and uh, Jimmy Page is standing there outside um, just having a cigarette. Um, he asks, my mom, if uh, you know, he could use her lighter, and uh, my mom proceeds to just, you know, like any normal person would do when they run into Jimmy Page, you know, just freak the f out. Um, and so my dad was still inside, and you know, my dad has worshipped the, you know, the ground that Jimmy Page has walked on since he was a child. So she runs back inside, and she's, you know, like Chris drop the $12 beer. We'll just get another one. Just put the beer down. Like you have to come outside right now. Um, and he goes outside and he sees, you know, Jimmy Page standing there and, uh, he, you know, got to shake his hand and they actually talked about the band and, uh, Jimmy Page, this is a direct quote, had said that graveyard checked all the right boxes 
So I thought that you'd find that that uh, a great story because you know he he goes out even though he's not I know playing shows too much anymore. I know he's still going out and supporting you know the new bands like that. So he's he's a pretty cool dude. When was this? Um, that was in 2014, I think. Wow, your parents are celebrities, man. <laughs> My dad will show that uh, picture to literally anybody. Um, if, if Led Zeppelin just brought up, it's like on his, I feel like he wow. has it like saved on like a special spot on his phone or something. Wow. Uh, but he yeah, got a picture with him and uh, he was, from what I, what they told me, he was just a super nice dude. Like just seriously, like his bodyguard had said to my parents, you know, you can't shake his hand. And Jimmy was like, they can shake my hand. Like, what is this? Like, it's fine. You know what I mean? I mean, he just, from what I heard, was just a really cool dude. And, uh, yeah, I mean, love the fact that he's out there, you know, seeing seeing new bands like that. You know, it's pretty pretty freaking cool. I would have turned into a <laughs> what the equivalent to a young girl watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show if I saw Jimmy Page or Robert Plant. I would have been like screaming like 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 a girl, you know, like oh my god, oh my god, you know, like I. It's I, funny because yeah. my my godfather was with him, and my godfather is my dad's best friend so he's also a huge Led Zeppelin fan but he took the other approach he didn't he didn't say hi to him and I always I always am like dude why didn't you he's just my godfather's never been that way he's more kind of just uh you know I just give him their space kind of dude I've never been that way um but yeah it's, it's interesting but uh yeah he's I would I was not there for the story I was very upset I was like you met Jimmy Page without me that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Really. I mean, wow. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, I'm jealous. I am so jealous. Me too. Great Me story. Too. Great story, though. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sydney, it's been a blast as always. Thank you for coming back on the show. I do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun coming on. I mean, talking, uh, Talking hard rock and heavy metal is my favorite thing in the world, so it's uh, it's always great to be here. Awesome. We got to do, next time you come on, whenever it is, we got to do an Alice Cooper episode. Oh, I could go on forever. Just let me know when. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. That's Sydney Taylor. You can find her on Metal from the Inside. Check her out on Twitter at, uh, it's what, M-F-I-T? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. I just screwed you up. No, no, it's fine. It's uh, M-F-I-T, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And also Facebook, you can find her on, is it, you have a Facebook page too as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just type the metal from the inside. It's on there. Um, we're also on Instagram, um, and we post all the episodes to the uh, website as well, which is just metalfromtheinside.com. And also check her out on Brave Words too as well. And uh, keep following her career. She is going to be a legend before you know it. Um, I'm fully confident in that. She's, uh, she's great. She knows her stuff. Um, she presents it well. You must follow her. Like I said, sooner before we know it, she's going to be, like, huge. It's going to be great. So thanks, City. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for all the kind words and for having me back. I'm, I'm open to being here anytime, so thank you. All right, everybody, I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, have a great weekend or have a great week whenever you're listening to this. And enjoy the rest of the summer. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 